Welcome to Soul Inspired Leadership's latest podcast. And today, our special guest is Chris Atkinson. And Chris is from Bristol in the UK, and he's an international speaker, trainer, and author, and has delivered seminars and talks in more than 20 countries worldwide to, to at least 43 different nationalities. And these numbers increase every year, or probably not so much the last 12 months, but at least they're increasing every year. He combines a, Chris combines a strong commercial focus with a deep psychological knowledge to inspire individuals and businesses. He's an author of Corporate Energy, How to Engage and Inspire Audiences, and a visiting fellow of the University of New South Wales. He's a columnist for Business Leader magazine and the managing director for the UK Office of Strategic Leadership. In, and in May 2019, Chris was invited to speak at the United Nations in Geneva on the topic of moral leadership during the Fourth Industrial Revolution. And that's going to kick off our discussion for today, Chris. So welcome. And so what precisely is moral leadership? Well, I think moral leadership is probably an emerging conversation, truthfully. Um, It ties up with conscious leadership, which people sometimes talk about as well which is something around how self-aware are leaders? To what extent do leaders consider uh, their motivations, the interests that they're serving, um, their own biases, their own strengths, their own weaknesses, and, and act in a more conscious way? The morality part, I think, comes because for many years now, we've known the organizations essentially will always prioritize and incentivize commercial yeah. performance, right? So, so we're, we're going to be looking at um, profit in some way or, or financial revenue in some way or, or even at a national level GDP in some way. And yet more and more, there's a responsibility of leadership to kind of somehow be guardians of good decisions, ethical decisions, yeah, uh, yeah. sustainable decisions. Of course, you know, that that word's coming up and more and more. And the purpose of that presentation, which I was invited to do in, in Geneva, was can we balance those two forces? You know, can we genuinely act in a, in a morally conscious way and still serve revenue, profit yeah, yeah. objectives for an organisation? Yeah. Yeah, actually, it's it's um, there's a couple of times, to- or oh, many times, I've been saying for quite often for quite a few years, and many times I've said on podcasts, is to me, once you're given a position of leadership, in other words, someone's reporting to you, mm-hmm. then you have a moral obligation, and I believe, to get the best out of that person, and that's that focus on the individual, and collected, the best out of that person is is also that financial, uh, the 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 uh, input into the into the business or whatever it is that's part of it but it's you actually got to focus on the person as an obligation not just yep. they're not just there as a as a as a as a body or a thing to to do work it's is that sort of what you're saying really is and yeah. how do you get that balance i would i i would counter that with by by dividing it into two perspectives yeah um on the one hand you've got my my responsibility to others by way of being a good leader, yeah, right. So that's you know developing others, growing others, ensuring their well-being, 
you know, it might even be promoting diversity, equality across teams and all of that. Yeah. Now, um, and I think a lot of leaders can get on board with that quite quickly, whether they're naturally gifted at it or not is, is different. But for most leaders, I think they would they would generally nod. Now, the reason I would separate it is I think you're, there's, there's rarely profound or damaging consequences to the individual leader if they don't do this. So, so what I'm, I suppose what I'm saying is it can make you a better leader or maybe you might be seen as a slightly worse leader, but the consequences are within some sort of uh, parameter for the individual leader themselves. Yeah. Now separate that from what's the consequence on me as a leader if I don't deliver performance from my department in terms of the numbers. Yeah, that's the and, yeah, paradox. And, now, and, and that those consequences are much more visceral. And consequently, what you find is the the behaviors that are elicited from leaders can can be can be anything from productive to extremely harmful because actually yeah. people are heavily incentivized to perform. And what will they what are they willing to do? in order to deliver those targets that they're being shouted at by their yeah. boss or yeah. that their career hangs on or that their promotion depends on. And so I think the the people side of leadership has has slightly softer consequences or, or the, the latitudes that you can move within are, uh, are, slightly, are slightly kinder, but the performance consequences are, 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 are much more intense. And therefore I think this topic of morality um, is actually a harder, it's it's a harder subject harder, to yeah. really push people on. Well, it's a, well, yeah, I, I understand. It's the moral, well, it's the morality of actually contributing to the business. That's yeah. what you're being paid to do. So, and if the business is not successful, then the people don't have a job anyway. So, it 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 yeah. causes I, I, I other do, issues. Yeah. I, I yeah, absolutely, and I and I appreciate it. I think you know when I. Generally, this this topic started where in leadership programs, we would start talking about KPIs and, and, and metrics and what they do yeah. to leadership and things like that. There's an absolutely marvelous article by, um, published in Harvard Business Review called Goals Gone Wild. And it looks at like the negative impact of, of goal setting on people's behavior, their teamwork, yeah. Yeah. Their, their ethics and all of that. And for years, I'd always almost almost with wry humor talked about the Enron saga or um, the Ford Pinto, which, which was sort of whenever it was back in the sixties and seventies, which, which caught fire and they ended uh, up yeah, deciding to yeah. leave the design because it would be too expensive to fix it and allow the, you know, the deaths that happened thereafter. And, and, you know, I think people sitting out in, in my classrooms almost chuckling now as we look back on it. Mm, and yet yeah. I question you know, the, the Volkswagen scandal is very current and is billions. The, um, there's a Boeing uh, the 7, 737 MAX aeroplane yeah, uh, yeah. currently right now. Um, that, that's the more and more now that's looking like that there was sort of inappropriate behavior happening there. Mm. Um, Pre-warning pilots what they should be doing in simulations. And again, think of the safety implications of, of aeroplanes now. Um, even in in the UK where I am, like a company like Tesco, which is a highly respected organization, um, a, a while back they overstated their profits by 263 million so that they mm. wouldn't declare this in their um, uh, shareholder report. And, and I just, I don't know if we're really that far past 
the issues that we now giggle at when we think about Enron and we go, well, that, well, that wouldn't happen. That was, you know, a different time and era. Yeah. I, we do something I, yeah, which yeah. compromises people's integrity in organisations. I think you're right, Chris. I think that the, the context may have changed a little bit, but at the end of the day, you're, you're, as you're saying that, different examples are popping into my head and then you, <laughs> like you bring up Volkswagen, I was thinking of that, or, or those types of um, examples that, Things haven't really changed. The pressure on people, um, the pressure to perform for shareholders, the, 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 the stock price, et cetera, et cetera, and the list goes on, yeah. to me is more heightened than what it was probably 30 years ago because yep. there's more media attention yeah. to failure. <laughs> it's, like, it's instant. Right. So to me, that's that's even greater pressure. And it's, it's very easy when we... When we when we sit and discuss this topic, to kind of imagine this um, caricature criminal exec, you know, who's who's nefariously cooking the books to try and further their career with no thought or anything like that. But if you know, I've, I've cited just a handful of scandals that sort of fall into the last year or two. But I mean, of course, there's there's literally hundreds more. I know there's a lot. Yeah, yeah. right now. That, so I don't see. And I don't believe that these are the, that caricature person. I think these are just managers, <laughs> so, you know, middle managers, execs, whatever, mm. just under pressure, trying to keep mm. their job, trying to um, trying to deliver what's being expected of them, not wanting to be the one holding the, you know, holding the can at the end of the day when it all goes to hell. And so I, I, I think we have to recognize we could be those people. If we found yeah. ourselves under those pressures, these are these are not a different class of person where we go, oh, you know, they're they're a bit dodgy. I would never do that. Yeah, um, yeah. it's if you've got a mortgage, you know, you've got a family to feed and a mortgage to pay, and you're under pressure, and and you're thankful you got the job because unemployment around you could be, and particularly in this current uh, situation, then yeah. the pressure would be heightened, and you you just can't. The key is you can't judge people for that, as what is what you're saying, and I, t- I tend to agree. Um, there'd be times you could, possibly, but really, you, you, unless you're living that that experience, you can't judge, right? Yeah. You, you, it's all right to be holier than there and stand over there in, in perspective. Of, I, I wouldn't do that, but rubbish. You don't know what you'll do given the situation yeah. at that time. Exactly right. So I, I would say straight up, um, you know, th- this is completely inappropriate actions, right? You know, no excuses could be made, really. I mean, this uh, m- most of what we've talked about is 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 criminal, if yeah. you know, or, or negligent at the minimum. So it's it's definitely not acceptable. But then comes, where does moral leadership fit in? In, in what ways do organisations have to take responsibility for including a, a, a moral imperative? in the way they act, in the way they incentivize, and in the way they discuss. So that if I was a leader put under that pressure, I feel that the organization has got my back to allow me to, you know, I suppose in one sense, like whistle whistleblow maybe, or, or yeah, possibly yeah. even just to disagree and say, no, I'm not comfortable with where we're going. We need to take the hit, even if it costs, I don't know, it might cost thousands of jobs, you know, in some organisations. Mm. You, you don't know the consequence. Maybe yeah, that's what people yeah. are worried about. And see, and there, there again, it all comes back to the top. Mm. The, the pressure might be in middle management, but that still yep. comes from the top because they feel as though they've got to do that because that's the message coming down from the, the you know, the, the supreme being of that organisation. 
and they've got to walk that talk. And I, I, I get it a few times where um, the message is, is, is this, this is the message and what we want you to do for our customers, but at the same time, in the actual reality of that message, it's not that case. It's pushing, pushing the numbers. So right. it's like it's conflicting. And that's where and middle management, to me, caught the pressure because they basically are in the middle. That's as simple yep. as that, right? So when I was um, when I was asked to do this presentation at the United Nations, I, I, I very quickly came to all the negative examples. <laughs> you know, you only have to do a quick Google search and type in, you know, corporate scandals and bang, there's there's everything I want to talk about. But of course, I was kind of thinking, well, so where are the good examples? <laughs> because, yeah. you know, let, let's let's hope that there's some some light yeah. in the world. And I did. Did I really had to do some hunting? Yeah. Um, yeah. But some of that's there. not necessary. Yeah, some of that's not necessarily the fact that there's nothing going on. But just mm. the media doesn't write about that. Just doesn't sell stories. It's it's the headlines of what went wrong is people read, not yeah. what went right. And I'm sure there's a lot going right, but we just don't talk about it. Yeah, absolutely. And and of course, you know, even if you could cite ten or twenty corporate scandals, you know, in the in the context of how many organisations there are, it's 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 relatively few. But I think it's it's how normal people can kind of have that compass yeah. sort of corrupted yeah. in some way. But for, you know, for example, I I found that um, the clo the outdoor clothing brand Patagonia, the CEO um, declared the company was given a ten million dollar tax break. I think under one of Trump's um, new bits of legislation, and uh, they they decided to give it back because they didn't want it. Essentially, they said it was our corporate duty to pay taxes, because yeah. their belief is taxes support the vulnerable people in society. So yeah. they declined that tax break. Um, and actually, in the UK, I was surprised. Before, uh, last night, I was just searching a few of these things. Um, a number of companies in the UK have paid back their furlough um, payments because they yeah. performed better than they anticipated. Um, and to put that in perspective, one company, which is a finance organization, paid back 4.4 million pounds mm. of furlough payments. You know, so so this is not just this is not just like, oh well, we did a little bit better, one or two employees. That's 4.4 million where they've gone, actually, we don't we don't need that now. Yeah, um, yeah. And that's that's um, a good example of moral leadership. And it's we should be talking about that more. Right. Yeah. And and I think <laughs> it's it's terrible because on the one hand, I want to say the point of this is that business is more than money. I mean, that's yeah. that's ultimately what we're trying to get to with moral leadership. But on the flip side, money is where you truly see how strong co a corporation's commitment to morality is, because that's yeah, where it's yeah. the hardest. So in some ways, money is both the measure and the problem for, for the situation. And that's right. I mean, at the end of the day, you need to be earning money as an organisation in order to be able to contribute back to the community. Yeah. If you're not earning the money, you can't contribute and help the community. Yeah. So it's like a healthy organisation helps you to make the community more healthy, just like that. We've made extra money, so we'll pay back the four million pounds, which then again gets earmarked for some other community or the help of someone else that, that needs it, right? Um, and so that's that that pressure on the performances comes back again. It's a bit of you can't just not perform because it's easier on the people. You've got to drive that performance in order to, to help the community. Otherwise, you, you can't, right? So you've got to be solid yeah. foundation in order to help people. Yeah. So then, I mean, I suppose then the, the, the next logical question is then, 
um, how do you how do you help business people, executives, managers, kind of either tune into or prioritize um, morality as a, as a topic? Yeah. And I, this is this is actually something that that I've been spending quite a lot of time thinking about recently mm. and trying to design this into normal leadership training. I mean, I mean, ultimately, you need a very high level of trust and openness in a group in order for the truth to come out. So I think the first thing that we're noticing is this doesn't even become a conversation until uh, a team has reached a certain threshold already of security and confidence to talk about it. Otherwise, mm -hmm. it, it bubbles away in the unsaid because you, you wouldn't talk about this stuff. And then we've created um, what well, we call it a leadership cube. Essentially, it's six sides of a cube. And we're trying to integrate conversations around soft and hard factors. So I, I think yeah. traditionally, yeah. if you were trying to develop leaders, the, the soft sides of the cube, which are about um, how self-aware is the leader, where's their vision, where are they with their team? I think those themes come up a lot in leadership and management training. But the hard side of the cube, which is what's our strategy? How do we structure our organization? How do we structure our processes to support that strategy? What KPIs do we use that will um, indicate to us we're moving in the right direction? Now, these three sides rarely get covered in, in typical kind of soft skills leadership training. So right. I think one of the things we're finding is you've, you've got to start balancing the personal development conversations with commercial conversations in the room and actually trying to create a, a unified conversation that includes the commercial pressures leaders are under and that's yeah, that's basically yeah. something that hasn't really happened enough because for the most part if i'm delivering leadership training i don't want to get involved in all the messy stuff around measures and targets and how the organization's yeah. structured and how their processes work but actually that's really where this morality stuff comes into play because that's where that's, the hard decisions yeah, are made. Yeah. So it's more like how you balance that. Because um, it, it's it's either you either get training on one or the other. Yeah. But it really should be in, it should be interwoven because that's where the, the the executive is. Yes. It's combining the two and how do you how do you balance the way you do things rather than I'm going to learn about my soft skills here. I'm over here. I'm learning about all the technical stuff and hard stuff. It's a separate. It, it shouldn't be separate. It should be how do yep. you meld the two together so you're in the best position to be in a more situational leadership type thing with both perspectives to make the one decision from both from both perspectives. That's what you were saying. Um, and there is makes sense that, to me. Yeah. Again, something else that we're, that we're discovering the more we do this is that there is a. There is a requirement on, on, let's say, a facilitator. Generally, it sort of needs to be an external person. It's pretty hard for an internal person to lead this discussion or, or, yeah. or they, they themselves need quite a lot of support. Um, it's quite a different skill, really, to, to, to get into some of these topics because they are both messy. They're also potentially highly sensitive for the people involved in the room. And um, a word that I'm hearing more was kind of consequent. The decisions that we make around these topics might fundamentally shape it. I mean, if a company's talking about, do we pay back a 4.4 million pound furlough payment? I mean, that that has implications right up to from shareholders to yeah. employees to where they invest the money the following year. And then you going, well, yeah, but it's the right thing to do. Well, sure. But 
I'm sure somewhere that, you know, the CEO or the board are saying, well, yeah, and we've got a duty to shareholders. That's also the right thing to do. Mm. And what about all the employees in the company who depend on having financial liquidity and stuff? You know, again, yeah, they could have cracked the bonus. And that's the balance. It's that mm. it's it's the, I mean, it's to me, it's the, that stakeholder balance. Yes. Uh, and, and, and I know a lot of more companies are talking about um, we're in business to serve the community rather mm. than we're in business mm. to make money. Mm. And that's slowly changing, but that's probably a good example of mm. it in, in a way because the belief is now whether that sort of permeates out to actual physical action, in your case, that example, that is physical action, yeah. to walk your talk. Exactly. But the talk is starting to happen. Um, it's just a question of how long does does it take before they actually seem to be walking it more often? Because at the end of the day, I mean, if you're successful, you can help the community. And if you help your staff, they'll help you. And then it becomes more successful. It's, but it's the chicken and the egg. It's where it do is. you go there to actually would, give back. Yeah. I, I would add in just, I suppose, one one final little point around the the risk of hypocrisy here as well. Mm. Um and and, it, and I don't I don't want to unfairly call out any organisations as such, but I can at least cite one industry just because it's it's an obvious one for most of us to experience, which is take something like the insurance industry. Now I guarantee you, most large insurance companies will have served the customer as one of their fundamental values. Yeah, it will probably be drilled into every customer service, customer first, customer Certainly first. Certainly is. Yeah, and yet when you get your insurance renewal premium, you know we know that that's not the best deal. We know that we have to either shop around or we have to get another quote and then play our existing supplier off against it and argue down and eventually you kind of get to a price that you want. Um, and that's just a natural way of how the industry works. Who's the person who would raise, you know, oh yeah, but shouldn't we give the customer the best price in their renewal quote, like the lowest possible price that we're willing to go to? Well, no, of course, I mean, they, they won't. So if the company isn't going to do that, and I'm not actually even saying that they're wrong not to do that although I would, mm. I would argue it it's you know perhaps not that but you can't then put customer first in all of your branding and all your training courses because you're not actually truly with integrity committed to that idea mm. so I think I, I would just I would only just caution I suppose the risk of hypocrisy of jumping on this in in terms mm. of creating something that sounds good because we know it's important if you're not willing to really address the tough decisions around the implications of it. Yeah, but that, that, that goes out to um, a lot of industries. At, at what point do you say that's enough profit mm. and we don't charge oh. any more? We don't, we don't yeah. charge any more. Our customers anymore. We'll just stick to that bit. That's mm. our limit. See, that's, that's, and that's really what you're saying. It's an example mm. of where, at what point you say enough's enough. That's what we'll charge. Everyone will be happy on the stakeholder side, which <laughs> that'll be argue, uh, arguable, but it means the customer's getting that value for money um, rather than let's just see what the, the customer's prepared to pay and then we'll settle at that. Yeah, exactly. When we could come in a lot under and they go, whoa, this is cheaper than what I thought. You know, that doesn't tend to happen that often, right? No. You know, I'm getting at it. But that's every industry. Uh, I would think at some point, well, they, they just... They're going to maximise whatever they can maximise. Right. At what point do you say, as you said, the hypocrisy, do I look after the customers and make it cheap as possible at the same time, mm. make a profit? And that's a real dilemma. And that would be a moral dilemma. Where, what? 
And which which CEO is going to be sat in the seat when they make the decision to truly serve the customer in that way? And then, by the way, our profits are going to drop this year because we now have integrity. Yeah. I don't know whether shareholders are signing up for companies. I know that's the mean. That, that, that's that level there of again. Integrity, right? There again. It, it, at what point is the, is the company healthy and what point it isn't? Because if you're not attracting the shareholders, you can't stay. You don't have the capital to to do new to develop new products to to grow and all this. So it's a it's a it's a very fluid, very fluid thing. And I think we could be we could be discussing this for the next ten years, or at least the next ten hours. I think, Chris. But look, on that note, um, we've come to the time to it's uh, over time, I guess. And look, thank you for joining us today on that uh, opening up that top, topic about moral leadership. I'm sure we'll connect again at some point um, in the new year. But look, thanks again for any last thing you want to make comment or anything. Uh, I, I will add that uh, Chris's um, uh, information on Twitter and where to contact Chris will be in our in our podcast notes. If yeah, people please. want to contact you. Yeah, please please do get in touch because it it is a I think um, a topic which is emerging. You know, this yeah. is this is an emerging leadership topic, and I think one thing I would say is. Uh, no organization should take for granted that they've got this sorted. Um, yeah. I, I, I now do more and more work in the voluntary sector just because that's where I find I can really discover more pure orientations. And it gives me the, it gives me a benchmark, which I can then take back into the corporate world. So, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah because those guys, ha essentially, they, they have a, a strong purpose motive mm. and they don't necessarily have the financial or the financial perspective is a totally different one because it's about what they can do with the money they can get hold of rather than profit. So, yeah, yeah I, I understand. I think yeah. Make no assumptions is probably my my big words. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. Okay, on that note, um, thanks again, Chris, for joining us on our Soul Inspired Leadership podcast, and mm. we look forward to talking to you again one day. And thanks for listening. My pleasure. Thanks a lot. Cheers. Sir. Right.